Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be looking at the 1976 ATV series Beasts by Nigel Neal. It's a new show. Uh, We're starting with the first episode of this anthology series entitled Special Offer. It's just an ordinary day at Brightways, a small chain supermarket location, and the manager, Colin Grimley, is giving words of encouragement to one of his employees, Noreen Beale, a mousy, overweight, pimply-faced teenage girl. And by words of encouragement, I mean he's using his bubbly and effervescent management style to shout at her and explain how stupidly she's stacking the cans of beans. While he is singling her out for the bulk of his ire, it is also true that the other employees and customers don't really like Noreen either. He really wants to fire her, but as June, his senior underling, points out, they are desperately understaffed, and you can't fire someone just because you don't like them. Lest you think Mr. Grimley is only about shouting at his employees, he's got a soft spot for the lovely Linda. Or you might call it a hard spot. We know this because he's enacting a letter-perfect recreation of a how-to-conduct-inappropriate-sexual-behavior-in-the-workplace training film with her. About this time, Noreen starts knocking things over and breaking them. She claims she didn't do it, but no one believes her. When she says she thought she saw an animal, Grimley snidely remarks that it must have been Brightway Billy, the supermarket's cartoon mascot. Noreen thinks that's really funny and says that must be it. It soon becomes evident to everyone that something is happening. Products are knocked off shelves, bacon is gnawed, packages burst open. People, including Grimley, see things being moved about by something. But no one, except Noreen, catches a glimpse of Billy. Exhaustive searches of the store find nothing. Grimley calls in Mr. Liversidge from head office HR to help with the problem. Shortly after Noreen sees Grimley and Linda sharing an inappropriate employer-employee moment together, Linda is driven screaming from the store by Billy, never to be seen again. Liver's Edge arrives and Grimley fills him in. He says he's sure it's Noreen and he wants to fire her. Liver's Edge wants to talk to her. He takes her across the street to a coffee shop and he questions her, kindly. It's clear she's in love with Grimley. Back in the store, Liver's Edge starts to convince everyone that Billy isn't real. That doesn't sit well with Noreen, and Billy goes wild, destroying things all over the store. Liver's Edge has seen the proof now. This time, Noreen says to Billy, You've been very naughty, Billy. Grimley wants to fire her now. Liver's Edge, however, does not want that. Have you ever heard of a poltergeist? Strange, ghost-like behavior that always happens around troubled teenagers? That's what Liver's Edge thinks they have here, and the girl needs help, not firing. He also knows that sometimes the kids know it's them, and sometimes they don't. But he's sure that Noreen is aware of it now. Starting tomorrow, you will all be nice to her. And it's all going well until a new potential cashier arrives to apply for the job. Grimley likes the cut of her jib and engages her in an innuendo-laden job interview process straight out of another corporate training film. This does not sit well with Noreen, and Billy goes ballistic. Products fall, burst, and explode. The job candidate is rushed out of the store and, in a fit of pique, Grimley fires Noreen on the spot. He justifies it to Liver's Edge as a matter of customer safety. And, to be fair to him, it's the first competent thing he said the whole time. Customers were in danger. Later, as one of the customers is explaining to Grimley that it's good riddance that Noreen is gone, she had the look of evil about her. Billy starts acting up again, causing a can to fly through the window, destroying the help-wanted sign in the window. Across the street in the coffee shop, Noreen sits, staring. Liver's Edge arrives, and he goes to talk to her. 
Let's go see your family doctor. No? Better idea, I'll go get him. Just wait here. Grimly, alone in the shop, is tasked with watching her while not letting her see him. Soon Billy is knocking things off the shelves and Noreen is standing right outside the door. In anger, Grimly runs at her, hurling abuse and manhandling her, demanding that she admit that she's the cause of all the destruction. And then things go poorly for Mr. Grimly. No longer content with just knocking things off shelves and bursting boxes, the cans of food become projectiles, pummeling him to death. Later, as the body is taken out on a stretcher, Noreen says, He loved me, really. He said so. The end. All right. Uh, beasts. Beasts. A um, couple things of, of uh, uh, preface on this. Uh, we've talked about Quatermass, uh, various pieces of it, some of the most influential uh, work done uh, in British television. Uh, we've talked about the stone tape. We've talked about the year of the Sex Olympic. This is all Nigel Neal's work. And Nigel Neal had some problems with the way the BBC treated him. And he left. And the first, not the first thing that he did, which was a film called The Moraine in 1975, but the first series that he did for uh, ATV, which is, I guess, Midlands ITV. I, I don't even pretend to know how that works, but for an independent television was this in November of 1976. It's an anthology series. No two episodes are on the same um, thing. Uh, this story was originally pitched for in 1973 or 74 for the ITV series entitled Orson Welles' Greatest Mysteries. It didn't get picked up. They held on to it, repurposed it for this series. So, Nigel Neal, New Frontiers, new type of show. What'd you think? Uh, well, it, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. It was interesting. I'm not, I'm not, um, I, guess, I guess my criticism is it was, it felt like a, a short story that didn't, necessarily merit a full 50 minute telling of it but then what was interesting about it was actually the, i don't i don't know whether you'd have found this stuff interesting in 1976 but the, the, but the but the kinds of portrayals of the uh people working in a in a little supermarket in 1976 and the number of things actually the number of things that are observations that stand up and you could say obvi obviously the setting itself does appear quite dated and yet in many ways it wouldn't take much to update them to to a kind of present day telling because the the characters and the dynamics between them are, are quite similar but i did find it fascinating to get that kind of that that little glimpse into how a how a shop like that because shops like that you know they're there are comparable shops that uh, that are still around, even though there are many, many more larger supermarkets now, and and um, and yet somehow they seemed quite, I don't know, quite different. It almost felt like they there was a novel thing there. The people working in it were, you know, we we had Grimley talking about his ambition and everything, and it, so it felt like the fact they were in a little supermarket made them very sort of cutting edge. Ah. Uh. It, it certainly is a different, uh, a different feel. I mean, it, it's nothing like, it's nothing like supermarkets that I grew up with. Uh, already by 1976, already by the time I can remember supermarkets in in the U.S., they were much much bigger than that. So um, it, it, it's a, you know, the, those are the kinds of places you would see only in a small town that didn't warrant a chain store of some kind and um it, it just it i i can't exactly relate to i'm well, not ever never having worked in a store anyway but i can't relate to being a customer in a store like that well a, a little a little because i did live in a small town for a while and we had a store like that but it was a little family thing there was no there was no pretension of them going on to bigger and better things that was that was their thing um, what what does amaze me is how horrific the the management uh, style of Mister Grimley is, and how everyone just puts up with it. And yet, 
I don't know whether you ever worked in any kind of supermarket or mm. big shop like that, but I suspect Nigel Neal has, because it seems to me incredibly <laughs> accurately observed. That 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 bad, huh? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, it's a fiefdom of sorts. I mean, it it is. You could you can you 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 can. There's not a lot you can do if you don't like the the manager because they effectively have an awful lot of power. The only the only power that is higher than them are the powers that be who are not present. I mean, it's it's it, by its nature is it's a chain, right? So, right. The the there are there are people who he is answerable to. But they are not present. So if you go if you go round there if you go round his back, it, that that's that's difficult because obviously your day to day life, you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Um, you know you don't you don't strike unless you know you are going to be able to inflict the mortal wound that that kind of thing. And so very frequently you're not. And so the only real power you've got is is uh, I think you you saw maybe with June was someone who was obviously very um very very competent and who might not be seen by management as such a whiz kid but someone who was in a position where certainly grimly you know he'd be questioned if he if he gave her the push and where you know you could that you can imagine them making her acting manager or whatever so it there there is it there's a there's a kind of there's a power exerted by those who are climbing up behind him the ambitious i wonder you know maybe um whether whether that was connected with his interest in linda but uh that 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 felt like the kind the kind of dynamics in there and and um we, we obviously have mickey being very um you know he has that scene with noreen where he says why do you put up with this why do you stand stand for this but then he can't do anything either other than walk out which he did eventually which he did yes but I mean, even I mean, obviously, the the answer with with uh, Noreen was she was in love with Grimley, and therefore she was going to put up with anything, or almost anything. Yeah. Um, but even if you know, even if you were to ask that question of anyone else, you kind of think, well, I don't know how things were in 1976. My understanding is that they weren't. I mean, I don't know firsthand. I understand they weren't that great from an employment point of view and therefore uh, that would be my next question how, how was and you didn't yeah. have a reference would you know where would your next meal be coming from yeah that that was that was a question in my mind it's like what does the economy look like at this stage of the game is this a you know employer's market um that well of course they can't find cashiers so uh and as june does say you know she's she, she She's keen to do it, which I guess um, so. You've got you've got strong strong unions at this point, um, so yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe maybe I'm looking at it from the perspective of modern, very casualized employment in the retail sector, and that you know wouldn't necessarily be wouldn't necessarily be true in in those. So certainly, certainly there was a sense in which. It, within the story, there was a sense in which it was a problem for Grimley to be able to to fire Noreen, but I thought that more came from the company in the form of Liver's Edge because he clearly wielded the influence there as as uh, head of personnel or whatever he was, rather than from any kind of legal or or kind of union backlash that that because I I. I mean, I say unions were strong then. I doubt. I doubt very much that um, a seventeen-year-old supermarket operator in a little sh- shop like this was a union member. Yeah, that that's that's another. I mean, it, our supermarkets here are actually unionized. It's one of the few few things that is. But um, even even in this state, um, but I don't know how much power they wield. And and I certainly well, I think th- that that membership is probably a formality. It, yes, it's the it's the it's the num it's the numbers of members you have or the the density of members you have, and it it's unlike seems unlikely to me. 
obviously you'd have had closed shops in the 70s, but it seems unlikely to me that um, Brightways would have been one such. Hmm. Well, I guess we can we can uh, hang on it for a little bit. I, I not not from the supermarket standpoint, but I mean, I can I can definitely see Neil's hand at producing characters that have a ring of truth to them, despite the fact that Grimley is a, a thoroughly and utterly unpleasant human being <laughs> by modern standards. I can still see that person existing in this day and age. Obviously, I can't see him getting away with anywhere remotely close to what he does in this story. And it, it, it that may be drawing... That may be drawing this apart for me a little bit because you watch it and you just like, yeah, I mean, the horrible person I see, but even a horrible person has to pull back a little bit and I'd hope or that there would be recourse to it. And uh, I mean, his his treatment of his treatment of Noreen is terrible and it does feel like he doesn't fire her at the beginning because June reminds him that they don't have enough cashiers or they don't have enough staff. But then after Liver's Edge gets there, then he doesn't fire her because Liver's Edge tells him not to do so. And his, his behavior with Linda and whatever the applicant was is terrifying. Uh, Yes. Uh, it, 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 it's just, and I, it's wrong. Let, let's, let's just, let's just get that out there. It is inexcusable. Behavior like that would never pass. And I'm not saying it was right then, but obviously Nigel Neal felt that it could pass. Not necessarily as right, because Grimley is portrayed as a unsympathetic character from the word go. But it it's portrayed as if it's believably that it could happen this way, that that uh, that an employee could be or an employer could be uh, treating Linda. And I my question is, is Linda going along with this willingly or is Linda going along with this because Linda knows it's what's best for Linda in that circumstance? Well, I, yes, I was going to say, yes, she's going along with it willingly, but. I think the reason is because well, she, in 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 large measure, it's because she doesn't want to deal with the consequences of. I it's not. I don't. I don't think she finds grimly repulsive, but I also think she's not particularly interested in him. But on okay. the other hand, she doesn't want to 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 re- rebuff him as firmly as he deserves because it's not in her interest. It's, it it. She she wants him to like her. She want you know. She wants she she wants to get whatever she the, can. This is the part when I'm watching this episode, and I'm I cannot not try to look at it from the mind of the writer, which obviously I cannot get into the mind of the writer. So I have to I have to Very interpret tricky, it yes. from the words from the words on the page and the and the portrayal on the on the screen and everything Grimley's doing is a classic, absolutely textbook classic. This is why people in power of employees should not do the things that he's doing of a sexual, in this case, genuinely of a sexual nature. It's not just workplace harassment. It's sexual workplace harassment. Absolutely. I mean, without looking at anything that Linda's doing, it is absolutely textbook wrong, wrong, wrong at every level wrong. Then you watch what Linda's doing and you ask yourself, or I ask myself, would, is that Nigel Neal imposing his mm, ma- white male uh, privileged view of that interaction and that whole argument? Well, she was asking for it because she doesn't really seem to be very coy about it. She seems to be into it. As I watch the the acting and the writing, I feel like she's she's not doing it because she's afraid of losing her job. She's doing it because 
she doesn't find him unattractive and she thinks she can use him. And so the attention actually is pleasant to her. And I don't think that's what we would expect looking at it now. You would look at it and go, obviously, she can't stand the guy either, but she's playing along with it. But I don't know that she is. I think she likes it. And I, I don't want to say that because she shouldn't. But we're not looking at but a people real person. We're looking like at a script. So we're looking at acting. You can't get you can't you can't you can't know what was in the writer's mind. I don't I don't I don't think that uh, Neil is particularly coming at this from a feminist angle. No, I, no, he, he never has. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, so you know, we're we're dealing with someone. We we we're dealing with a piece that is written by someone who is not who is not pushing that. That he's not interested in that. He's that. That's not what he's interested right. in. Now, whether whether as a you know what what his angle actually is, it, I suspect he's somewhat more cynical, like you suggest. Nevertheless, the way that he is portraying Grimley is undoubtedly very very unfavourable. I don't think you are supposed to look at his harassment and say that's that that's laudable behaviour, or you know that no. That um, you know he's he's bad in some ways, but you know, or he's a bit of a lad. I think that's part and parcel of him being portrayed in a bad way. The fact of the matter is, I don't see Linda's behaviour as being a million miles from the kinds of things that I've seen. It's possible. I mean, you people will react in different ways. Some people will find that kind of behaviour absolutely reprehensible, and they they would find, they would just find it intolerable and so they would you know they would i mean they might deal with it in different ways but they would not put up with it i think i th- i think like i say that the the way in which and this might be this might probably be more to do with the performance and the portrayal than than necessarily the actual writing the way that uh, linda reacts to it is as you say to i'm i'm not sure that she she likes it per se, but she's not bothered by it. It's the kind of thing that she feels like she can deal with. She probably thinks, because I've heard this kind of statement before, you know, oh, you know, other women should be able to deal with men like that because I can deal with men like that. And that's, you know, partly because she likes some aspects of it and partly because she's adept at being able to deflect the parts that she's not, you know, so I don't I don't find I don't find that part of it unrealistic in the way you do or feel that she should react differently but that's partly because I think that Neil isn't telling a story that is supposed to take grimly to task specifically for that aspect of his behavior yeah. and I think we it's just we that he's generally unpleasant yeah might feel that that ought to be dealt with within the writing in a different way so the, you, even even if you say well this you know the the character portrayal and everything is realistic the actual arc of the story should end up with that being addressed in some way and ideally grimly being brought to book for it um you know but the story's not about him being brought to book for that it's about him being brought to book for something else no but obviously the fact that he supplies his attentions to Linda and then later the job applicant, which if if ever there was any doubt that he was, if there was any doubt that he was trying to get sexual favors out of Linda or was getting sexual favors out of Linda, it, it had to be dispelled completely during his job interview with the, the woman with some of the lines that he had about getting a bit on the side and, uh, and it's like he, he was it felt pretty clear to me that he was expecting something from her and that she was up for it in that yes yes context and obviously yeah that's that makes grimly an import uh, an unpleasant character it's not what exactly is trying to be addressed but it is key to the episode because it's noreen's jealousy of his behavior towards them his attentions towards them that is what's apparently driving her her billy fixation and her, her her manifestations, yes, uh, along the way. So I mean, it, in, it, that, it is... in, in that in the hands of a different writer, I think you might deal with that in a slightly different way. In the sense that ultimately, Noreen might also 
feel some sympathy for the way that the the other women were being treated and therefore some anger even though she's in love with him some 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 kind of sympathy for them and ang- anger for him might feed into what happens in the end do you have any sympathy for noreen in this story no no i i, I find you, her I completely you... unsympathetic almost non-existent character well i tell you i tell you what i was thinking about the the, the characters in this because you, you were saying that you know you can you can identify neil's hands in the in the characterization i think as i was saying there are some really really well observed dynamics within the the cast here and each of those each of those relationships feel feels incredibly believable but i did feel like the characters were ciphers in some sense although although we more or less had a sense of what each one wanted you know for 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 grimly it was um being you know being promoted being being recognized uh, for linda it was getting a better job for noreen it was grimly and so on what i didn't get a sense of was actually what deeper down was driving them and that that kind of felt a bit important at certain points in the story where they took actions that I didn't necessarily expect them to take. So, for example, Liversedge, Liversedge takes Noreen's side or, or says, you know, you can't fire Noreen, not because he's worried about it from an HR perspective and, you know, any blowback or legal ramifications, but from a Noreen's welfare perspective. Yes. Which... You know, there's not there's, that's not inconsistent characterization, the, the, but it raises the question of where where's that empathy coming from? What how how is someone who is you know head of personnel in a company like this, which is obviously you know they're willing to hire people like Grimley, they're not necessarily they're not necessarily employers of the of the year. Um, so how? How has he how has he come to that position, and why has he come to that position? Why does he want to work in a, in a, an organisation? And all sorts of all sorts of questions well, like that. And I had okay, similar he... kinds of questions about Noreen. I understood that she was interested in Grimley. Um, I understood that she was kind of very inept, and but I did, I kind of didn't. What I wanted at some point was to work out. Obviously, working in the shop didn't particularly make her happy. So what the hell did? ever make her happy even if we just got a glimpse of it it was like yeah i i don't understand what what makes any of these people tick well i think to to defend liversidge um june said he was basically one of the original people in the company that he was he was old school and and so i just in, took that as being when brightway was small he was there and it became Perhaps, a but that doesn't chain and he that. just is, well but i mean well he's old school so i mean old school is good right that's the it? old ways the old, well nigel neal i i can see how he might oh mate Ni- nigel neal maybe. i tell i tell you what i tell you I'd what edge was to me but i mean i mean if it hadn't been for the fact that neal has certain well defined views on doctor who Liversidge is the doctor in this story. If this if this is a, a, an episode in the mould of the lodger or the caretaker, where it's all about the doctor being in a very a very mundane day to day kind of work work a day real life environment in order to track down some mysterious going on, namely a poltergeist in this case. Um, so he goes in undercover, but then all of this kind of so so he so he he gets a job as a as a member of the personnel department. But then all of this compassion comes spilling out, as well as all of this curiosity, and you get all that from Liversidge. He is enormously curious about the. I mean, he's first of all he's very knowledgeable about poltergeists. So how the hell does he know yeah. about poltergeists? Again, question about what. You know what is it that makes this man interested in the paranormal? No clue whatsoever. 
And then obviously you've got all the 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 curiosity relating to that and all the empathy for Noreen, very, very doctor-like qualities. With the doctor, obviously you you do kind of understand where it comes from because you know, with it not being an anthology series, you've picked it all yeah. up from the previous episodes. But with this, I've no idea what what his interest is. He's, yeah, he's the convenient person who brings in the explanation at the at the at end of start of part two, I guess. On the yeah, I didn't find that hugely satisfying. I I guess I of all the people there, I just as you say, what what makes Noreen happy? I don't know. I I, I think she, in a way she's the most poorly realized of of the characters because there's really nothing i mean okay her dad's dead and her mother is sickly so we can believe that she has an unhappy i mean that those neither of those things necessarily make your life unhappy uh so but i think that shorthand that we're supposed to think that it's not yeah that she's 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 also very helpless she's she's not she's not able to to do things and there's no one there who is capable of helping her or teaching her anything because they're all well useless at it but yeah i mean especially makeup yeah well but but whatever i mean they they no, no one no one says to her here let me show you how to do whatever all they say is you should be better at doing whatever with fair no, enough no help or but, anything like but that we only we only see two things capability to do to provide help but the, the, prob- the problem, things, obviously, is she's very, very helpless. But, okay, we see her stacking beans. And frankly, I think she did a bang-up job stacking those beans. I mean, I see <laughs> beans stacked like that all the time at supermarkets. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not following why you're complaining about Do this. Do you buy them, <laughs> I don't... I never buy anything off the end cap that they put out because that's obviously a scam. No, because <laughs> like, I, I but see, I, if I saw, I'd be tempted to see how many cans of beans I could buy from the bottom row before the whole thing came down. I do. I mean, I, feel I, like I do get his. I took out enough so that the next person who came along caused it to collapse. I, I, I do see Grimley's point when when she put it up there but you know she stacked the beans he said here put these beans in that i stacked the beans i mean you you don't put them that way on a shelf on a shelf you put them neat so i can i can totally understand that given no instruction you might go and do beans that way i i have seen displays i have it's like i get it i get it grimley's way of correcting her was absolutely again wrong right i mean that's just like it was wrong. Yes, all that all that took was just you know oh, very nice, but actually we want people not to pull beans out and cause them to fall over the floor. So it's best to use the basket just here. Just put them down. Goodbye. Off you go. Done. And that should never be a problem. And the question is whether Noreen would be would take that on board and do it right the next time. And we don't know that. We never get that from her when she's checking people out. I don't see that she's doing anything particularly wrong there. She's a little slow at it, but I didn't. I didn't get any impression that she was doing it wrong, and I don't think that the other cashiers can teach her how to be faster. Oh, I think I think until they, they get, until they get barcode faster. scanners in. I think they could. They. I mean, again, you, they can you help her though. There's no doubt. That, yeah. There's no doubt that they should be helping her. But my point is, is that there, we don't actually see a lot of what she does wrong in this store. So you're saying she's doing it wrong and nobody's helping her. The, and the only other thing we saw her do wrong is put on makeup. And I mean, that was terrifying. Uh, and and June should have taken her in the back room and said, "You know, honey, l- let me let me show you how this is done." I, I, I that that showed a complete lack of empathy from any of the other staff there. I mean, Grimley shouldn't have done that, obviously. But any of the female employees, if they had had an ounce of humanity in them, would have taken her in the back and said you know, let me help you because obviously nobody else has at home, but yeah. So, I mean, no, nobody helped her, but we didn't really see her do anything wrong. We didn't really see her do anything right. We just didn't see her do much of anything except stare at Grimley and laugh at Billy or laugh isn't quite the right word, but 
sort of take a certain amount of enjoyment or delight in what Billy was doing. Um, so she she seemed like the the biggest cipher of the bunch to me. Just wasn't. It's like yeah, troubled team. You know, you know how they are. So poltergeist. One one thing one thing that came came to me just as you were talking when you were when you were describing Grimly getting his comeuppance was that the the actual story itself. If you, if you sort of set aside the poltergeist, the kind of um, the kind of uh, supernatural element to it, you've basically got a story where you've got you've got a a, a young girl who is in who is in love with a a bad young man who who is having his way with certain other women and and who treats her badly and who she in effect she murders you know that's that's the that's the ultimate upshot it mm-hmm. it's it's tales of the unexpected yeah it, yeah and it, you know because it, and it it's it's of a similar era and therefore a sort of similar style another ITV series but that's twice newer as long. though isn't it Tales, Tales of the, the Unexpected is about the same time, wasn't it? Oh, I thought that was in the eighties, but I, I may be wrong. I mean, it ran for about seven or eight series. Roald Dahl's so. Tales of the Expected, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It started. It started in seventy nine. So, yeah, a, 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 a few years later. I, I'm going to say. I mean, that that that's a question that I was going to ask. Is here we are again, Nigel Neal. Is he at the cutting edge of this sort of thing? Is he the inspiration for so many shows that came after it? I mean, we haven't seen enough of Beasts to know where it's going to go. It's, since it is an anthology, it's not going to be... They're not going to all be teenage poltergeists. I, I'm i I'm positive. I know that much about what the other episodes have to do. But <laughs> well, one I thing, know a lot one thing about, about them. The, the poltergeist aspect of the story is I was surprised there wasn't more about poltergeists in it. I mean, it basically just said, poltergeist, troubled teenager, uh, you know, causes problem connected with them. That you know, as far because obviously when you're when you're dealing with something of a paranormal nature, whether it's a you know a, a poltergeist or a werewolf or whatever it is, you have to actually effectively define within your story which elements of the 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 kind of mythos that surrounds them that you're taking on board to be within the reality you're defining. And he didn't really give much of that. I thought I'll I'll go with that. I'll I'll go with that. I, I had note here about the fact that when liver's edge gives the description of a poltergeist at no point does he describe it as a ghost. He which, you know, a lot of people think a poltergeist is a ghost, yes. often associated with a with a troubled teenager. Other people think the poltergeist phenomena is a psychic phenomena manifested by a troubled teenager. And the fact that he does not go with the ghost approach at all, he doesn't even, I don't think he uses the word ghost at any point. It's like things happening, things always a, always around a troubled teenager. Boom. It, it. It's that struck me as very Nigel Neal. It's very stone tape. It's very ghosts are not ghosts are not ghosts. Ghosts are some manifestation of the of mankind, which I guess in theory a ghost would be a manifestation of what's left behind <laughs> mankind. But you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's a it's a mental phenomena of the living, not yeah, exactly of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the the. The, the questions that still leaves me are to do with how do, how does that actually work then? Because as far as Noreen is concerned, she is perceiving and simultaneously manifesting a, an animal of some sort, a, maybe a somewhat indistinct animal, but it, it's it's her, it, it's the manifestation of this animal that is then causing the tins to move, the bacon packets to be chewed or whatever it is it is like the animal is realized through her mental power that 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 was the kind of sense that i was getting you know following the mm-hmm. the kind of dialogue 
that, um, that, that came on top of each of these incidents. Whether it was in the script or not, I have no idea. But the way that this was actually realised in the production, when things really start kicking off, stuff moves simultaneously on opposite sides of the shop. Yep. Yep. So it's not a manifestation of an animal. It's actually, you know, it's, it's stuff being moved. Now, it's still presumably stuff being moved by Noreen through her t- telekinetic powers. But then you're thinking, well, where's the animal fit into that? You know, is it that the animal is able to telekinetically move things on the other side of the shop? Is it that she's suddenly manifest? I, I thought at that point where they, were, where they were looking round, everyone was seeing things moving on different sides of the shop someone would actually make an observation that it's not one animal, it's several, because it looked mm. like there were things falling off a shelf over here and things falling off a shelf over there. And, you know, if at that yep. point I'd been thinking it was a rodent up to then, my immediate thought would be, right, I know how rodents are. You often, if you've, if you've got one rodent, you've got many rodents. And therefore, what we've got here is several of them rather than immediately thinking, oh, it must be a poltergeist then. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that there at the end it was, it was Billy was in multiple places at once, but I think that was just meant to show. I, I don't think we were supposed to believe it was an animal at any point. Well, okay, not at any point, but in other words, I think, I think by the time that Liver's Edge said, Noreen knows it now, then then I think we were supposed to know that this was just a manifestation of her mind. And so when things started going off multiple shelves at once, my my take on it was simply that that's meant to be her powers have increased, that, that she is now, you know, doing more than one thing at once, that, that she is, it is, it is getting stronger at, at any, at that point. And it's going off the rails. One of the things I thought was a question that was interesting is if you were to come up with a different name for this story, you know, something a little more on the nose, I would think it would be more like Grimsley and the Poltergeist because this is Grimley's story, right? We, we follow, we follow Grimley interacting with Noreen and ultimately his death at the end of it. Noreen is, is almost like a, Again, she's like a cipher. She's she's a, what happens to her after this story, right? There's there's no. She's not going to get arrested for it, right? It's not going to just go away, right? There's yeah. there's untold tales of Noreen causing uh, grief until she passes out of this pimply stage on on the on the story, and I I thought that was an interesting choice uh, of the way the story was told. Unlike, say, for example, um, Carrie, the film, which, you know, focuses much more on her struggle or the book, I suppose, uh, than, than this. This is, this is kind of more, she is, she is a throwaway in this story in a way, just by the way we, the way we end it. I, I, I get no, I get no sense of what happens next in this story at all. Grimley's dead. That's it. We're done. I thought that was an odd choice. Well, I don't know so what other solution it, it would does be. Feel but, yeah. like, it does feel like a short story. It's there's only so far you can go in in telling. Fair that. enough. It, it's just that it felt like you could have done it in half the time, if not a quarter of the time. <laughs> I will admit that when we reached the point where it popped up and said "end of part one," I went. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's just the, fr- oh, of course, I was thinking, I was thinking it was the first quarter of the program, thinking more in American television in terms of commercial breaks. So when that came up, I thought, we're only 15 minutes in. <laughs> I was amazed. I was amazed. I thought, this is, this is, Okay. Where are they going to go from here? I mean, we already know it's the girl. So I, I was I was completely, I, I think it was, it felt a bit too long. Well, in the time, I mean, if you had the time, like you say, you could have told another story for what happens after this. So you, it, you know, you could have, t- you could have told 
this this story i mean it's a story beginning middle and end it 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 goes somewhere but you could have told that in the first act of the the you know the structure of the the tv episode and then told two other stories after it which could equally have had a had that you know gone gone to their own places and had an ending like this one did and and um or you might have been able to delve a little bit more into the characters and make them a little less. Yeah. Um, we could have, we could have, we could have cared. Yes. I mean, yes. I, 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 like I say not... to that, to do that, we didn't need to know more about what made the characters tick. Yeah. I, I just, I could not, I could not, despite my absolute abhorrence of Grimly, I could feel no sympathy for Noreen. Noreen was Noreen was incredibly unlikable. Everyone disliked her, yeah. including the audience. I mean, that was that was a deliberate choice, and I think that was that was kind of perfectly understandable. Um, but and what again, was unlikable about her? What was unlikable about her? I mean, she's just a person that didn't do much of anything. But she was she, she was she was. Is it because she's fat and pimply and and doesn't talk? Is that why we're supposed to dislike her? Because that's no, kind of shallow. Because she, no, she is because she's helpless and and inept and and somehow you know she, it's not just that she's bad at her job, but she's unable, she's unable to find any way to to help herself. And you're not, you're not supposed to hate people like that. You're supposed to pity them. <laughs> you're supposed to have. You some may be supposed to pity them. them. I don't say I wasn't pitying her. I had. I had sympathy for her. I just, I'm saying sympathy. I didn't, like yeah. her. I didn't have sympathy for her. I had, I, I, oh, I she was, sympathy for her. I mean, even you look at it and go, how, I know it doesn't make any sense. Love doesn't make any sense, but really grimly. Well, yeah. Also she's a teenager, but really grimly. I mean, I, I thought it was, it was kind of liver's edge not to actually say that to Grimly. I mean, he kind of <laughs> did. He kind of did. He said, "Tangents. It doesn't make any sense." And of course, what's Grimly's response? Oh, like I could with that ugly cow, or whatever his exact words were. I mean, I don't know. You ever called her a cow? I know he called her a fat, ugly bitch at one point in the in the show, and an abhorrent monster, or something like that. But so I mean, he, he said some nasty things to her. But he, yeah, I mean. Wow, uh, I mean, maybe we should talk about the cast because uh, that because I found that quite interesting. For a start, we're talking about Noreen being mm-hmm. this um, this un un well to me unlikable character, um, which is played it. by Pauline Quirk, who I don't know I don't know if if you're familiar with her on that side of the pond. Mm-mm. No, okay, she's quite a big. She's quite a big star over here, um, or at least she 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 has been. I mean, she's been been she's been around for a long time. She she yeah, she had a, a big part in a long running sitcom called Birds of a Feather. Um, she had a role in Broadchurch fairly recently, um, and you know after uh, after the Birds of the Feather stuff, she was the kind of actor who the main channels would create vehicles for you know she was she was a draw for audiences and so she's a she's a charismatic actor in a very very uncharismatic role which is quite interesting it's obviously quite an early role she's only done about a dozen televisions at this point um but uh that that to me was quite Interesting, because as soon as I saw the credits, I was like, "Oh, Pauline Quirk, this is interesting." Especially since we're talking about 1976, and uh, you know, so that was a that was a while ago, and yeah, so quite a long way from all the all the, from the kinds of roles that she she normally gets given. Hmm. Yeah. No, I I I don't know which broad church she was in, but um, I don't recognize her from any of the pictures uh, on the. On the internet at this moment, there are, I've only there seen are the first couple, Broadchurch. So, there are. I think she's. In, I think she was in it from the first series. Um, oh, okay. Don't I haven't seen her. it yet, but i I know that uh, I know that she was she was in it. 
there there are there are a couple of other more kind of novel interesting casting things that I didn't pick up until afterwards one is I don't know if you spotted Alpha Centauri in there I did not Joyce was is played was that, by I wasn't quite June? sure who Joyce was Joyce huh no I'm not sure who Joyce was oh maybe that was the woman that was applying for the job no it wasn't the woman who was applying for the job I should come back to her in a moment I, I suspect it was one of the other the, the other supermarket employees but I I didn't I didn't actually pick up who she was because I didn't spot it this is, this is I spotted her name in the in the in the I assume she's the voice it. actress not the suit yes she, yes no quite right she 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 was the voice of Alpha Centauri in um, the curse and the monster of Paladon and Emperor Empress of Mars. And also the spiders in Planet of the Spiders, I believe. Um, so there's her. Oh, you know that actually that voice I, that never really occurred to me, but that voice does sound a lot like Alpha Centauri. There you go. The applicant for that. the job was credited in the credits as Linda Marshall. Didn't register at all with me. Um, just brought up IMDb just now to have a have the cast in front of me, and it says. Credit is as Linda Marshall. It's Linda Laplante. Presumably you've heard of her on that side of the pond. No. No? <laughs> um, okay, okay, recent uh, Steve McQueen film, Widows. I have not seen that. Okay, but you heard of it. I think it won some Oscars. I, I think I may have. I thought Steve McQueen was dead a long time, but... Uh, no, not that, not that Steve McQueen. Um, Linda Laplante is a, is a much, much better known as a writer. Um, there's a series called Prime Suspect, uh, another ITV series that uh, I think... I've heard of that. I've not seen it. 80s or probably 90s. And um, she did Film Widows. is actually based on a TV series she wrote in the early 80s. And it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an adaptation from that. But she is an incredibly prolific and again very very mainstream a lot of the kind of big mainstream itv hits in the 80s and 90s were written by linda laplante um hmm. and, i mean beyond that i think i'm sure she's still still writing stuff but um i think i had known that she started off as an actor but i hadn't really registered it so i it, it was a complete surprise to me i was like oh my god so that was that was linda laplante so there you are. Anyone else want to mention Jeffrey Bateman, star of Nightmare of Eden? Jeffrey Bateman, I thought I recognise him. I absolutely, I'm absolutely 100% certain I recognise him. But I couldn't work out from, where from, and I still don't. And in part, you know, I'm fairly sure, not 100%, I'm fairly sure I've never seen Nightmare of Eden. So I don't think it was from that. How? Well, I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking at a lot of pictures of him and I will say that I can see it, i.e., for example, if I'm looking at his picture of Nightmare of Eden or from The Bill or from other shows that he's appeared in, whether I must it was have guest seen appearances or what. I don't know if he was a regular in The Bill, but he was in no, it no, once anyway. No, yeah. He's been in it, at least one of the episodes he's been in, I've seen. Um, but, you know, so everyone has been in the bill. That doesn't mean anything. And I, I'm not sure I'd register just from that. I think it, I, I looked in for ages and I thought maybe maybe there's an element of Gareth Hunt in there somewhere. And it's it's that that's, uh, that's, that's sticking with me. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I Like I said, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm not actually drilling down into the, what they are, but they're wiki search or not wiki search, google search for him image search and like i say now that i realize it's the same guy i can see it i've seen this guy a bunch of times in things he was he's in got a Avengers. look he was in house of yeah, cards so he's in a bunch of things i've seen but he's in a bunch of stuff and looking at this stick with me i think pile of pictures i go okay yeah 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 i've definitely seen that guy here and there and everywhere I sort of generic guy on British TV position. Well, there's a lot of, of British character actors like that yeah. who, you know, you 
you wouldn't you wouldn't associate them with the last part you you saw them in and then you know suddenly it, it suddenly it clicks and then every time you see them you go oh it's him again him again him again and you know i mean i the the weird thing is maybe it's the 70s or the haircut or something but trying in my mind to to say why why does noreen like him why does linda put up with him and i'm looking at this guy going is he supposed to be handsome because he doesn't it's he doesn't have a pleasant face and he he you look i look at him and it's like you know i i can't see not attracted to men anyway so I'm, I'm not maybe necessarily the best judge of that but looking at that going i just i'm not seeing that i'm not seeing him being like a dreamboat or something that they would all be uh fawning over so i don't get it but you know as he got older when he went bald and grew him but beard he, he he's, a, he's a much more leading man kind of guy looking now so uh, maybe it was just oh, I saw something had, that i thought he was a man quality. i mean obviously he wasn't yeah he wasn't the, the clear-cut hero who was obviously he, that, he's too that's snide why he went to be a hero it, it, it's why it's why he became a character actor you know but that said i i, I don't know i'm no, i'm no expert on 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 what women find attractive he had a he had a kind of he had a confidence he he had he had confidence in in his good looks, and nothing about him scree- screamed, "Oh, you know, this guy is horrendously ugly to me." And he also had that kind of bad boy thing that sometimes seems to yeah. to work All with right, the ladies. Enough. I don't know. Not my area fair of expertise. <laughs> what else have we got about this uh, this story? Which is the, uh, as I understand it, the only one that is not. An original for the Beasts series. So this is an older script that <clears throat> got got repurposed for this, but uh, but the others were written for it. So and so technically, the, was there a Beast in this? Well, I and think was that was Noreen? my question. Really, if, if we knew more about how the Poltergeist works, we might be able to answer it, but we don't, so we can't. The Beast is us. I mean. <laughs> In a way, the well, beast no, I mean, the, be- the beast, the be- the beast of the title, at least, was Brightways Billy, but it might have been a, it might have been a, a red herring. All right, well, that is, uh, I think, literally everything I have got on this. Probably more than everything I've got on this. I had a hell of a time finding out their names, though, on the characters, listening to them talk. Like, are they calling what? her Noreen or Lori? Are they are they calling? <laughs> Him Grimly or Grimsley or or Quinlan at one point. Or, yeah, Mr. Grimlin. What? What did she say? (laughs) I I didn't have that problem at all. Ah. I I got all that. If if you ask me, I got them all from the end credits. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, yeah. What about Daleks or Daleks? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I, I maybe that was just the sound quality of the copy I was listening to, but then and I think that may theoretically have applied to the source you were listening to too. So I don't know, but it it was definitely uh, I was listening to those titles. Linda was the only one I was able to get, Con- and June, Linda and June, convincingly and on the money was like Linda and June. Those two names came across and I got it, but the rest of them they kept saying it, and I'm like, okay. Did I? Because I I probably have, I probably have three different notes in here. It says, I think the manager's name is Grimley. It might be Quinlan. <laughs> like maybe it's Grimsley. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to turn the episode. It said check end credits, which I did, and then wrote them down at factually and corrected my notes. But anyway, uh, if you don't have anything else. Nope. Simon, I thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. 
come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.